there. Thanks for having me. I um, remember having chemistry in this class many, or this room many years ago and falling asleep on the desk right over there one day. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, this trip is bringing back lots of memories. Um, so the uh, title of my talk today is Stumbling into Space or an Accidental CEO, uh, both of which are true. I will talk about entrepreneurship and my path. It uh, perhaps is not a traditional path of entrepreneurs that you've heard speak in this class, but uh, I think there is no defined route to entrepreneurship. So um, just to start off, how many of you, I think I, my understanding is this is um, a mixture of undergraduate and graduate students, is that correct? Uh, a little bit of everybody. So how many of you know what you want to do when you graduate or when you leave Mississippi State? Yeah? Not that many. Okay, that was, I was in the not that, uh, uh, not that many category. And um, how many of you have dreams of starting your own business someday. So, a few more, yeah. I certainly did not know what I wanted to do when I was at Mississippi State. So, ending up with a career in aerospace is something that I never dreamed of. I did, however, have big dreams. And I will say my uh, point throughout the talk today is that I do think it is important to have dreams and to have big dreams. And I find that the dreams that I've had throughout my life are the things that end up coming true. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so, but as far as being entrepreneurs go, I think that the, the dreams are really important. But my initial dreams were not of space. My earliest memories of space were, we actually, when I was a little girl, um, we were landing men on the moon. And I remember that. I was very young, so I don't have strong memories of it, but I certainly have memories of seeing it on television. And so um, we tended to move a lot. We moved, uh, I had moved five times by the time I was in kindergarten. And um, no, I did not learn everything I needed to know by the time I was in kindergarten. But I did formulate a lot of my ideas about the world by the time I was in kindergarten. At that point, we were living in Arkansas. Uh, I had lived in, I was born in Oklahoma, had lived um, in Tennessee, Louisiana, uh, Illinois, and um, had started school in Arkansas. So, so about the time I was starting school is when I did have memories of men landing on the moon, and um, but it was men. There were no women landing on the moon, only men. And I remember thinking space is hard, it's inspiring, but it's also for either astronauts or old men in white lab coats. I didn't put myself in those categories. So, um, so space wasn't something I aspired to. I did, however have dreams of being Miss America. <laughs> I, we lived in the South. Pageants were a big deal. 
I loved the Miss America pageant. So I wanted to be a Miss America. I wanted to be a cheerleader. I wanted to be a mom. The mom dream did come true. I have two beautiful girls, teenage girls, that uh, uh, one of them will start college next year. And um, the cheerleader dream, not so much. You know, one year in third grade, turns out I wasn't very coordinated, not so good at it. And uh, still working on Miss America, but unlikely it's going to happen at this point. But that's okay, because dreams change. (laughs) So my dream changed. And um, as I mentioned, we moved quite a bit. So as um, I went from Arkansas to Idaho to Pennsylvania, all during school years. And so those are where, you know, you're starting to form your identity. You're starting to figure out your place in the world and your place in the society. And the one constant label that was attached to me was that of being the smart girl. Um, Not the athletic girl, not the Miss America, but the smart girl. Now, at this point, my dream was just to fit in. So you move a lot. Um, and we didn't just move at this point. We went cross-country. So Arkansas to Idaho and Idaho to Pennsylvania. Those are pretty big moves with pretty major culture shifts. So I, I really wanted to fit in. Smart girl was my, my fit in. Now, granted, smart girl label isn't usually the one that's going to win the Miss Popularity Contest. I didn't get picked first for, foot, or for kickball team. But I did get picked first for the history report or the math project or the science project. So that was my place of how I felt that I fit in. So as, as I went through school, that those feminine dreams and some of what I'm going to speak about today is to the girls in the class, uh, the women in the class, because um, I think that we still need an extra push to, to uh, get into STEM fields and to start our own business. But um, one of the things that started happening to me is that I thought that being female and being, in, being the smart girl were not necessarily, um, co- uh, they, they didn't coexist. So I started pushing down some of those feminine dreams and focusing more on, well, what does it take to be a scientist or what does it take to be good at math or what does it take to be an engineer? And I started ignoring those pieces that were that wanted to be in a beauty pageant, that wanted to be a cheerleader, that wanted to be things that we think are more traditional uh, female roles. And so by the time that I, whoops, I think I went ahead one. By the time that I um, went to school, and I think I better sit down or I'm going to fall on these uh, steps. But by the time that I was looking at schools, I felt like I had to major in something that was hard, uh, but I didn't know what that was. So doctor sounded good. That um, I, um, I, mean, I did have that um, nurturing side that wanted to take care of people. And so I thought, well, I'll be a doctor. Well, about that time, uh, biomedical engineering was a new degree and becoming more prevalent. And I learned about that. And I thought, oh, what a great fallback plan if I decide not to go to medical school. I looked at schools like um, Case Western, Vanderbilt, Purdue, they were all very expensive and uh, difficult for my family to navigate tuition-wise. And so I looked at state schools. The only, there were only three state schools at the time that had biomedical engineering, and they were Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. And I was telling uh, the lunch group earlier that 
having two parents that went to the University of Arkansas, they forbid me from going to Texas A&M. They, at some point, were big uh, college football rivals, and my parents couldn't stand the whooping, they said. So I was not allowed to go to Texas A&M. Um, Louisiana Tech had a great program, and uh, it wasn't too far from my relatives, but it just didn't feel right. I didn't like the campus that much. I didn't like the um, faculty that I, I mean, I didn't dislike them, but, you know, there wasn't that connection. When I came to Mississippi State, I loved it. I loved the campus. I loved the um, professor that would be my advisor. And I just felt like it was a very um, uh, aesthetically pleasing place that I could feel at home at, even though at, by that time we were living in Pennsylvania. So it was a very long way for me to, um, to come from Pennsylvania. I did have relatives in Arkansas, but even that was a five hour, six hour drive to my grandparents or to my aunt and uncle's house, depending on whose house I was visiting. So I chose Mississippi State. I majored in biological engineering and thought I was on track to go to med school. Well, that desire I had to fit in, I maybe partied a little bit too much my first couple years, (laughs) didn't study too hard, and uh, my grades weren't so good. On top of that, I kept getting faint every time we went into um, a hospital. So the biological engineering, I guess we had a club at that point. We would go visit various places, and, um, and then I visited some places on my own to look for jobs or internships and kept having this recurring problem of wanting to faint. So <laughs> uh, decided between those two things that maybe medical school wasn't the, uh, the route that I should go. And... Um, so stayed in biological engineering, but really didn't like engineering. I struggled with, uh, well, pretty much all of it. But I struggled with dynamics, and I struggled with um, physics, and I struggled uh, with lots of classes. Um, the, the positive was the same advisor I mentioned that had really been key in attracting me to Mississippi State. He was um, teaching one of the biomedical equipment type classes that I was taking. And he was amazing. He was really good at building my confidence and saying, you can do this. And he said, come to my office every day if you have to. And I did. He tutored me and the light bulb went off and I went, wow, I get it. And not only did I get his subject and end up making a good grade in it. In fact, I made good grades my last two years, just so I, yeah, I got the parting out of my system, and then I actually studied hard. Um, but then I had the confidence that I could learn any subject. So that was a key, uh, key transition for me. But then once I had the confidence to realize that I could do this, then I realized I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I didn't know that I liked engineering. So I I was going to change my major my um, senior year, and my dad said, no, finish the degree. (laughs) You can go back and get another one. You can get a master's in something else. Just you're so close. Finish the degree. And it turned out to be the best advice that he could have given me. So um, and just wondering if any of you have similar thoughts, if you've gone through your major that maybe it's not the major you want or maybe uh, you'd like to do something different or or are you feeling pretty secure about your your choices? 
Anyone want to change their major? <laughs> All right. Um, well, I was definitely, I was definitely there, but so glad that I didn't. Now, maybe if I changed it earlier, that would have been okay. But changing it when I was a senior, well, yeah, would have probably been a mistake. Um, so I got the degree, but still didn't know what I wanted to do. I looked at um, law school. I looked at. I still considered medical school. Um, even though the grades were bad, I had some options of you know being a research assistant that could have led to medical school after a year. Um, I looked at. Um, I just started looking for a job, and I took a job. I answered an ad that said they were looking for somebody with um, the technical ability to learn um, pneumatics, hydraulics, and programmable controls. Now, I'll be totally honest. Despite spending four years in engineering school, I didn't have a clue what pneumatics or programmable controls was, and I kind of knew what hydraulics was. But I went, I have technical. Now I had confidence, right? I have technical ability. I can learn whatever this is. So I, um, I went to that interview, and um, they um, gave me a quiz right away on the Venturi principle, which I didn't remember at all, but somehow passed the quiz, and I got the job. <laughs> so that job was actually teaching pneumatics. I didn't teach hydraulics because I didn't want the oil on my clothes. But, um, and the equipment was real heavy. But uh, I taught pneumatics because that was clean. And, uh, and that's compressed air, if any of you don't know what it is. But you probably do by now, but I didn't back then. Um, and then I also taught programmable controls, which is a pretty simple programming language. Um, when I was here, you know, I had to take Fortran, and I had to take some other programming class. Again, no confidence in it. I had a little bit of confidence in Fortran, but didn't think I could program. But doing this programmable controls, now I had confidence to learn, and it was actually you know, fairly simple, and I enjoyed it. So, um, but what I loved the most about that job was actually the light bulb that went off when I would teach something to someone else. What I didn't like about the job was I came out of college by then with a little more confidence, um, realizing that I was still in, you know, there were more women in biological engineering than there were than other engineering disciplines. Like my roommate was a civil engineer, and I think she might have literally been the only woman in her class. Um, and, um, but still a pretty low number. And so I came out of college thinking I was going to change the world. I was going to, you know, rock this engineering thing, whatever it was, in a male-dominated field. Well, I sure chose a male-dominated field. <laughs> the um, fluid power industry, it was a German-owned company. I was the first woman they ever hired in a technical position, and it was very um, challenging. <laughs> so I quickly decided I didn't need to change the world. And this is a philosophy that I use now as well. There are enough people and enough business and enough things to do out there that I don't work with people I don't like. I don't, I think that it's so important to um, work with people that share similar values, similar goals, similar approaches to business. And yes, you may make more money if you work with that person that's, um, you know, that's a cutthroat, uh, it's just business kind of person. But to me, that was not fulfilling or it wasn't what made me enjoy getting up and going to work every day. So I um, am a firm believer in working with people 
that share your values, that share respect, that um, share the not just your business goals, so not just that product or that surface, service, but also your personal goals. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of integrity do you want to bring to the job? You know, what kind of values do you have for the people who work for you? Uh, so, um, so I learned this lesson. It's taken me a long time to refine it and apply it, but this was one of the early lessons that I learned, that it's, I can't change the world, um, but I can make a difference. I can make a dent, but it's only if I stay in my um, own integrity and my own values, not try to change somebody else's. Um, so I mentioned my first job was in fluid power. Didn't stay there very long. And um, was looking around, and I happened to meet somebody who was working at NASA training astronauts. So uh, that sounded like a cool job. <laughs> and I, had, I didn't grow up dreaming of working at NASA. Like I said, I saw men landing on the moon, but wasn't something I thought I could aspire to. And um, so I uh, decided that I would send my resume in. And I was telling everyone at lunch earlier, and I really was wanting to be Kelly McGillis from Top Gun. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen Top Gun, because uh, you're all younger than when it came out. But, um, you know, the Top Gun school, Navy fighter pilots, and Kelly McGillis was the nuclear physicist who, or astrophysicist that went in and, you know, taught them all something about aerodynamics. And um, so... I was having these visions of, uh, yeah, I'm going to go train astronauts. So I still wanted to, uh, I guess, shake up things a little bit. But I got to NASA, and it was great. There were a ton of women there. So NASA was actually very progressive about hiring female engineers. And so this was another lesson that I learned. Um, I had worked very hard to suppress my female side, like try to make it in a man's world. I was going to be like a man. I wasn't going to take my emotions to work. I wasn't going to um, do anything to, you know, I wasn't going to do arts and crafts, or I was an engineer. And um, when I went to NASA, the female engineers I worked with, they still did needlepoint. They still did crafts. They still did um, things that I thought, oh, that's too feminine. We can't be doing that stuff. But, um, but that was another lesson that I learned um, was bring who you are to the job. Don't try to be someone you're not. So, you know, especially for the women in here, I think bringing um, whatever skill set, and not that we all have the same, but bringing your femininity, bringing your um, uniqueness into the workforce is actually a positive and not something that we should try to be a woman in a man's world. And in fact, when now when men say to me, "Oh my gosh, um, that's just like a woman," I'm like thank you, you know, because I find that derogatory. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to flip that. That you know, I bought into that for so many years that being a woman was bad. Uh, so now my focus is no. Women bring um, a uniqueness to the workforce that only makes it better. So my first job, as I said, I stumbled into a job on Space Station Freedom. My biological, and it was called Freedom back then. It's just called the International Space Station now, so dating myself. But um, my biological engineering job uh, uh, degree actually helped me to get that position 
because they hired me to work on the crew healthcare system at NASA, which was, um, there was an exercise physiology piece, there's an environmental piece to it, and then um, the actual healthcare. One of the really cool things that I got to do while working there is they were, we were trying to figure out if you needed a doctor on every space station mission. And so they took a group of us, and you know, since I had some level of uh, biology background and physiology, um, they trained us on advanced uh, life support. And so then, um, so just um, doing CPR, starting an IV, intubating, uh, basic things that might have to occur on board space station. And then they took us on the KC-135, which is nicknamed the Vomit Comet. So we did um, zero-G flight, uh, weightless flights. Uh, so you fly 40 parabolas, and you get about 40 seconds of weightlessness at the top of each parabola. And so while doing that, I had to start an IV, intubate, do CPR, all on dummies, because they didn't let me do it on anybody real. But um, that was one of the, uh, the highlights of my um, time at NASA. And actually made me see why someone would want to be an astronaut, too. You didn't get that. Um, overview effect, that look back at the world effect on the KC-135, but the weightless feeling was a really fascinating experience and made me realize why uh, people might like to go to space. Before that, I also didn't have a desire to go to space. It just seemed like the astronauts trained for three to five years, you know, at the time for a 12 to 16 day mission, seemed like an awful lot of work for a short amount of time. But uh, after that experience, I... Uh, I was a believer in, in why it might be really cool to go to space. Um, so I started my career on the healthcare system and developing curriculum, but I really wanted to do the training. They wanted the doctors to do the training for the crew healthcare system, and so I switched to robotics, and I trained the um, robot arm on the space shuttle, uh, so trained astronauts how to o operate the robot arm and then also continue to work on space station with the robotic systems. So I spent about six years there. This picture is one of the crews that I trained. Um, you see the arm in the background there. And um, the, uh, that, uh, that payload was actually called the Wake Shield Facility, and I don't remember what it did, but it was an experiment on board the space shuttle. And so the astronauts had to pull the wake shield facility out of the payload bay on the space shuttle and then release it um, into, uh, into space. And so I had two crew members that um, we trained how to do that. And then, uh, but all the blue suits, if you can see in that picture, are the rest of the crew. So it was a five-man um, five crew. Uh, I trained a couple of flights on space shuttle. And I have to say, you know, from... Going from somebody who had no idea what I wanted to do, not thinking I could be an engineer, but somehow getting through it, to then working at NASA was a pretty amazing experience. I, every day I would go to work thinking, how lucky am I to work in these facilities that are considered national treasure to work with these you know, people who have achieved their, um, what their calling is in life. But at the same time, that was a... a uh, thought that stuck with me too. I'm train I'm helping other people achieve their dream, but what is my dream? So going back to dreams, I loved training astronauts. I loved working at NASA, but the um, the career path for me was somewhat limited uh, for what I wanted to do. 
Um, I could go into management. I could sit in lots of meetings. I could, you know, be part of the bureaucracy. But that wasn't what I thought that I wanted to do. So a really hard um, choice in my life came to decide to leave NASA. I got an offer to work Iridium, which is um, still in existence today, but it was um, the largest satellite constellation, still is right now, ever put into orbit, and it was for cell phone communication anywhere in the world. There was one slight flaw to it, didn't work indoors. So the military still uses it, but um, it wasn't quite the system that you know, we had thought it was going to be. I mean, someone knew that it didn't work indoors, but I didn't when I went to work there. And Iridium went bankrupt. So when Iridium went bankrupt, something happened to me that I never thought would happen. By then, I had loads of confidence, right? I worked at NASA. I didn't have loads of confidence, but I had a lot more than I did in college. Uh, I worked at NASA. I got this job offer for Iridium, and suddenly I got laid off. Not expecting that. I thought I was specialized. I thought, um, you know, that would never happen to me. So when I got laid off, um, I had two other, well, my husband at the time and um, one other partner. We all were in the same business group in our company working Iridium. And we all had, well, two of us in particular, but we all had little children. I, little, I literally had been back from maternity leave with my second child for one day when I got the layoff announcement. So I wasn't feeling real marketable. <laughs> considered going back to NASA, considered looking for a job elsewhere, and, and dabbled at that a bit. But um, I, um, you know, no time like getting laid off and having no money and not feeling marketable to start your own business. So, but that's what we did. So these are my two business partners. And uh, that picture was actually taken at the space prom. So um, there are still reasons to get dressed up when you, <laughs> when, when you get out of school. But um, so we founded Qualtech in 2001. And I would like to say that we had this amazing vision for um, this product or service that we were going to revolutionize the world. But honestly, we just wanted to keep ourselves employed. We had a smaller vision of growing a company of um, having employees that work for us, of having a good place to work, but we really just needed to put food on the table and have enough money to, to buy insurance. Um, so, so telling you that, I said earlier, I think there's multiple paths to entrepreneurship. I think that that is definitely a path. But if I had it to do over again, um, you know, I said dream big, and I did have dreams. I even had dreams then. I, you know, I had slight dreams, but I was afraid to dream big, right? So I had little dreams of, well, maybe we can grow this. Maybe this can be, you know. But don't be afraid to dream big, and be intentional about your dreams. So I think regardless of your reason, if you start your own business, or even if you don't start your own business and go to work for someone else, if you have dreams, be intentional about those dreams, you know, it's cliche to say write them down, but I'm a believer in writing them down because I saw that my little dreams came true just because I had them. But now I find that my bigger dreams, when I write them down, become more true. And if you and they, they become more specifically what I want instead of sort of dabbling around the edges of what I wanted. We founded our company um, thinking that we had a contract coming in um, we had already done some upfront work, and we actually sat around at a coffee shop at Arizona State University because we couldn't afford office space. So we, um, and it felt kind of exciting to be around students. 
So we went and we sat in this coffee, sh coffee shop, and that was our office for our first five meetings. And we said, what do we think the odds of us getting this contract is? If it's over 95%, we will start our business. If it's under 95%, we're not going to start our business, because we were pretty risk adverse. You know, we were, even though I'm not a traditional engineer, still had that engineer training, don't take big risks. So we decided we had a 97% chance of winning. And I wrote P win. Um, oh, yeah, win probability is what that stands for. So in government contracting, when you're figuring out what your percentage of odds that you think you have to win this contract, they just abbreviate it with P win. So 95, we said 97%. Now, I don't remember how we came up with 97%. I'm sure it was a little bit subjective. But uh, needless to say, we did not get that contract. <laughs> but by now, then we had started our business. So another lesson is don't forget to plan for the 5% <laughs> or the 3% in our, in our case. We needed a backup plan. Our contract that we thought we were going to get did not come in. And so we quickly made a list of, okay, who are our, our other potential customers? We are a services company. We did not have a, a product, but we had a service that we felt like was a niche that we could market to certain companies. And we went after all of those. Luckily those two of those hit um, we were marketing to Lockheed Martin at the time and Sun Microsystems they both asked me for a financial statement which I had no idea what it was um, so I had to go buy accounting for dummies and then they also asked for references so I made up a financial statement I mean I didn't lie but I may have mixed in some personal money with the lack of business money to make, and I didn't have much personal either, but I just wanted it to show more than negative, <laughs> which it was. Um, and so, and then I used Lockheed Martin as a reference for, um, for, or we used Lockheed Martin as a reference for Sun, and we used Sun as a reference for Lockheed Martin. And um, we didn't have either contract yet, but they both spoke very highly of us, and somehow we got both contracts. So, there is some luck involved, um, but there, there's a combination of go in, you, you know, you are legitimately able to be there. You are viable, whether you think you are or not, if you're brand new or if you've been around for 15 years. But you have to go in believing you're viable and believing you're capable. At the same time, don't be afraid to say what you don't know. So I didn't speak up and say I didn't know what a financial statement was because that sounded like something I should probably know what it was. But, um, but there were other things like certificate of insurance. They would say, well, give me your certificate of insurance. And I would say, I'm a new business. I don't know what that is. So, and I found, at first I was very afraid to do that. And luckily I had business partners that when my confidence was low, they built it up. Or when theirs was low, I built theirs up. But um, so... Um, they would never take no for an answer. You just go, go, go. And if this, if this person doesn't say yes, go to this person and this person. I personally don't like rejection. I've learned to deal with it. It was very hard for me then. But I learned that if you're honest and upfront about where you're at, most people want to help you succeed. So most people are more than willing to tell you what a certificate of insurance is, what, where you can buy, um, where you can bank, uh, things like that. Uh, the other story that I like to tell is that um, Lockheed Martin was our first customer and you also have to have enough money to 
last while you're waiting for the payment. You know, you work 30 days before you can even invoice them. Then they wait another 30 to 60 days to pay you. And if there's a glitch in their system, they may wait longer than that. Thank goodness that early on we had people who cared and knew that we had no money and made sure we got paid at their earliest possibility. It's interesting now because some of those same customers, I've gone nine months to a year without them paying us. Now I can afford that, then it would have put me out of business. So there is some luck involved, but there's also some persistence and some honesty. If you don't pay me, I can't make payroll, <laughs> those um, types of things. So, um, but I had this check from Lockheed Martin. It literally came the day from before payroll. It was a $30,000 check, and I went to the Wells Fargo, and I had a business account there, and I went to deposit it so I could make payroll the next day, and she said, oh, we have to hold this check for seven days. And I said, why? <laughs> I need to pay people tomorrow. And uh, she said, well, because we don't know if it'll clear. And I said, can I speak to a supervisor? And um, the supervisor came, and she goes, oh, Lockheed Martin. They're a big company, right? And <laughs> yeah. But um, so somehow managed to convince her that she didn't have to hold the check and that we could make payroll the next day. But what I learned from that lesson is we quickly went out and found local, small, Arizona-owned businesses. So in your case, wherever you're from, Mississippi, or businesses, banks that want to grow businesses in Mississippi, that want to grow local businesses, they're going to be a lot more accommodating than your large bank chains. So I already talked about that slide, but so plan B, our plan B from our contract we didn't get was to make money. <laughs> and, um, and then I have a list of our first contracts that came about pretty quickly. So most of those came about through networks that we had established already and relationships that we had established already. So those are important too, um, that you establish those relationships of people that you can go to. And, um, you know, I put make money... But another thing that happened to us early on is um, there was someone that we hired as a consultant to work one of the jobs that we had, um, we had won. And so he did the job for us for about three months, and then he went and stole our contract. So he went directly to the customer and said, you know, I can um, do this for you cheaper, and I've already been doing it, and cut out Qualtech, which is my company. Um, that was a hard lesson. We later have a clause in all of our consulting agreements that we named after him. Um, but later, he came back and had a business opportunity for us that would have made us some money. Um, but we said no. You know, yeah, there is make money. And, and if you have zero money, maybe those decisions are a little harder to make. We didn't have a lot of money at that point. But um, you know, it was not worth it to us just to make money. We wanted to work with people that we could trust and people that had the same values and integrity that we had. So where are we today? That was our company beginning. Um, today we are based in Phoenix. We have contracts, uh, multiple locations. And we have a second office in Maryland at um, Goddard Space Flight Center where we do mission readiness and technical training for a lot of um, satellites at, uh, that NASA has and manages out of Goddard. 
We also have employees at White Sands, New Mexico, which is a, where the TGRS ground station is, which is a NASA communications um, satellite system for a lot of space-based assets. And we have um, a contract at the Navy Satellite Operations Center in California. So we're 45 employees. Um, so we've gone from, so when we started, there were three of us that founded the company in May of 2001. By July of 2001, we had our first employee, so we were at four. <laughs> so in 15 years, we've gone from four to 45, but we're finding that growth now is um, growing um, larger or faster, more people. Um, and in our case, if we had moved our business somewhere like um, Maryland or Virginia, D.C. area, or back to Houston, we may have grown faster. And if we were able to dedicate, you know, some startups, they're there um, 15, 20 hours a day. We all had young families at the time, and so we made um, choices for quality of life over just going after the business. What's nice about that now is as my kids are soon to be out of high school, now the business is in a prime position, so now I can grow it and achieve some of those dreams that maybe I didn't have time for. So those are the decisions you need to think about as well. You know, it's all fine and good to have this amazing startup, but if you lose your family over it, then, you know, what, what's your trade-off? So those are all things to consider. Um, in your, to me, you bring the whole person into the entrepreneurship, not just the business idea. So this is our team, and as I said, we're about 45 right now. We have two offices and have employees and contracts in five states and still growing. Oops. We have some amazing projects. I love, on Facebook, I follow NASA Goddard and NASA Johnson Space Center and NASA this, and then half my Facebook feed is all NASA. But it's so cool when... Something like Gozar, which is a weather satellite, and that's actually a picture. It's an artist rendition, but of the Gozar satellite. NASA will post these amazing photos back from some of these satellites that are just beautiful. And I love knowing that our team worked on training or getting the operations team ready to operate those satellites. So those are things that um, running a business can get a little mundane and monotonous at times. You know, you're doing contracts and you're doing um, employee, hiring employees and recruiting and um, doing health insurance and 401ks and all of that is not the fun work. Um, luckily, I can hire a few people to do that now, but early on I had to do it all myself. But um, having something that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and is exciting that, you know, that you say, this, you know, my company achieved this, that's what I think keeps you going. So we have um, multiple programs that we work on that are out of Goddard. Um, we have um, a space station payload that we're working on getting the teams ready for um, out of Langley. And that was supposed to launch on a SpaceX rocket in November, maybe delayed after the, um, I don't know how many of you follow it, but there was just a uh, explosion of a SpaceX rocket, the rocket and the satellite were lost, uh, so that could, will likely cause a delay, unfortunately, but um, especially, too, because I was going to get invited to that launch, but, um, and then, as I mentioned, we're also at the Navy Satellite Operations Center. 
We also work on um, UAV systems. So, uh, and that's an interesting story because most of that is classified work. Um, and we had, and it wasn't, I had, a, well, I have a clearance, and I worked on classified programs in my career, but that's not one of them. And so we had that contract for 12 years, and I didn't even know what we did. So it only became unclassified of, that it was a UAV um, a, few, a couple of years ago. So that was, that's sort of interesting um, as a business in the government realm that you have contracts that you don't even know what you do. But it's really cool. <laughs> All right, and that's, so that's where we're at now. Where are we going? My first love is still manned space. So I developed, you know, I, I didn't have any interest in space uh, when I was here at Mississippi State. I, I was saying that the Challenger accident actually happened when I was a junior, I believe, and I, I do remember where I was. I was in bio lab. I don't remember which building, but somewhere over here. Um, and so that impacted me, but I didn't watch shuttle launches on a regular basis. I didn't pay attention to the space program. I didn't even know that space station wasn't in orbit yet when I was um, hired to work it. So that's how little I knew about the space program. But it doesn't take long, to, or it didn't for me, to be there to, to develop a passion and love for space exploration. Um, not just, I love what we do now. I, the satellites are interesting, and the data they get back, and the communication that you can provide anywhere in the world. But I think it's really exciting to send people to space. And I love helping people get to space. So we've worked with a couple of commercial space um, tourist companies, uh, developing a training plan for um, training their tourists. No one's actually gotten anyone, uh, any tourists to space yet, so not much money in that. But um, and it, there may never be. But that is one of the things that I love. And I'm careful not to, not to put too much marketing dollars into it but I stay dabbled in it because I love it. And I think that if you have a passion about something, you're going to find a way to make money at it. Um, but I love all aspects of space exploration. And so I want to be, my personal goal from a business perspective is to be um, the go-to company for all of these new satellite constellations coming on board, uh, the go-to company for training and mission operations, and then I'd love to be the go-to company for the manned spaceflight training as well, uh, or human spaceflight training. Uh, there's another woman that I met recently who has um, beat me to the punch. Uh, she's actually raising capital for her uh, space training center. Um, I wish that I would have, I, you know, I've dabbled at it. Again, I don't think I dreamed big enough. I um, And she has surpassed surpass my dream, but I'm okay with that too. I hope to find some way to work together. You know, it's okay if your dream intersects somebody else's or gets overtaken by, I think there's enough to go around that you can find a way to work together. We also are applying our expertise of space systems operations to the healthcare market. So um, we've had hospitals approach us for centralizing uh, control centers for hospitals. Again, not making any money in that yet, but those are, so even though we've been in business in 15 years, we still entertain entrepreneurial ideas. Um, I will tell you that I think we tend to jump on ideas too soon, and instead of doing our due diligence to look at the market, look at you know potential money, look at who the competitors are, so I think those types of things are also helpful. It doesn't mean that you won't be successful, but 
Um, it may change your path a little if you analyze your market. Um, so, from a, so I mentioned some of this. So my, my personal goals and my business goals intersect. You know, those are um, goals through my business. But the other goal that I have, you know, I've alluded to it as I've spoken, is that for years and years I bought into that, you know, it's just business or you have to succeed in a man's world or, um, you know, don't, to try and um, separate who I was as a person from who I, um, what my business is. And so uh, another goal that I have is um, to integrate um, my values, my, um, my mission statement, my integrity into my business and to treat employees that way. You know, you hire, you should hire, fire, and a good friend told me this, hire, fire, and lead based on your values. Well, if you don't know what your values are, that's tough to do. For a long time, I thought, oh, that's like touchy-feely stuff and engineers don't do that. We just do good work and we do quality work and who cares what your, um, your values are. But I have found that when we operate from our values, we team with other companies that share our values, and not only is the job more enjoyable, but it's more successful. So recently we've been on a project where we had a choice of two companies um, to team with. One of them maybe looked better on paper, but the other one shared our values. And I will tell you, we've had phenomenal success by choosing the one that shared our values, and we enjoyed the work. Um, and to me, if you don't enjoy what you do, then find something else to do. Uh, I'm also a STEM director for a charity called Girls Rule Foundation. So another one of uh, my goals is just to uh, utilize the platform that I have now to be an effective, um, uh, effective inspiration for young girls to let them know that they can do it, that um, we all lose confidence, that we all struggle, but um, if it's something you want to do, you can do that. And I had that, you know, I mentioned the, my advisor here that gave that to me, and I had my dad at one point you know, pushing me when I lost confidence that I could do math, that I could do math, and I think that's so important. And, and it's been something throughout my life. It's not something that I overcame in high school or overcame in college. You know, there, there's been multiple times I've hit against a wall when I'm like, I can't do this. And so... I don't use that word anymore. Um, you know, there, I think that we all need people to build our confidence and build each other up and not, um, not put each other down. So um, I find that to be a very important part of uh, business. And being an employer is to inspire and motivate and look for ways that make people want to come to work every day. Okay, so I have way too many lessons learned. I'm going to have to go up here to read them. But uh, Eric said, uh, mentioned uh, if I had any advice, and I have way too much advice. But uh, my first one and my number one is um, don't be afraid to have big dreams. And, and as I said before, but be intentional about those dreams. And be specific about the dreams. And I think um, combine your passion with money-making ideas. So you have to have both. You know, I do believe you need something that makes you want to come to work every day. 
and something you need to be passionate about, but it also does have to be something that can make money. Unless you're independently wealthy, and then you can do whatever that you want. <laughs> but I had to make money. <laughs> so um, sometimes you do have to tweak your passion a little bit to something that is going to make you money. But if you're clear about what that passion is, it's also easier to um, know what you can accept and not as a tweak to then be a money maker. Uh, refrain from latching on to every cool new idea. I mentioned that we are, my business has been guilty of this. Somebody brings us a cool idea and we're super open to it. And we're like, yeah, that'll be great. Let's put money into that. And, um, and then it bombs because, yeah, it was a cool idea, but it was either too soon for the market, nobody else really cared about it, or we didn't know what the heck we were doing, <laughs> or, or the competition was too, too great. Um, choose mentors to learn from. I think mentors have been um, really instrumental in my life, but also don't assume they know everything. So you don't, uh, you can learn from a mentor, but don't assume they have all the answers because sometimes they're wrong. So there's a point when you have to choose between trusting uh, what you believe and what your instincts are versus what the mentor says. Um, don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Like I said, I am. Uh, there was a time I was afraid to say I don't know something because I was afraid that someone would look down on me or think I'm not technical enough or not smart enough. Um, it's impossible to know everything. And, and also, along with that, is embrace what you are good at. I am not, um, I am not a rocket scientist. I love my friends call me a rocket scientist, but I'm not. I've never designed a rocket in my life. I sort of know what it takes to get a rocket into orbit. I've studied it, but couldn't design one to save my life. Um, but that's okay. I don't want to. Maybe, my ne maybe later, <laughs> but right now I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. And so um, I don't have to sound like a rocket scientist in every meeting I go to. I don't even have to know all the aspects of satellite operations, even though I've worked in it for years. If something new comes along and everyone's talking and they know, you know, something that I don't, I say, hey, you know, I, I've been out of it for a while. I've been working on contracts. What are you talking about? And uh, I, uh, I think that's important. Um, have balance in your life. <laughs> I mentioned you don't want to be an entrepreneur at the sake of not uh, of, of your other goals. Um, if, that, if your goal is to have a family, then you don't want to sacrifice that family. Or if you're, but you need to have fun, you know. Find what makes you happy outside of the job. The, um, the best thing is to combine the two, but sometimes you just need something away from the job. So definitely find balance. Um, and then uh, base your leadership style on your own values, not somebody else's. Um, and then finally, uh, just because of the, I'm not actually, um, I'm not actually a Doctor Who fan, but my daughter is. So this is Doctor Who, if you don't know, but I thought it was a great representation of avoid the cobwebs and keep moving forward. With that, uh, open up for questions. Yeah, yeah, I'll start it off with some of the ones that have been submitted online and then we'll okay. just open it up. Um, one of the students was asking, how do you summarize your values and do that in a way that you can convey it with your 45 employees? Mm. That is an excellent question, and I am in the middle of that exercise right now. Um, in my case, we've, um, we've had values for years, but we haven't, been, um, we haven't been as specific about them. So I actually hired a business consultant that is helping us draft language that's easily, easily communic 
communicable. <laughs> um, clearly, I have a trouble communicating, so I need to hire someone. But, um, but our values are things like um, um, honesty and integrity, and you bring passion to um, everything that you do, and um, have fun. And so we have a list of about five values, and I literally am struggling with that very question. So we've hired someone that we are getting very clear language um, down as we speak. And once that is done, we're going to start um, we're going to start stating our values at the beginning of all our business meetings. We're going to put it in our newsletter. We're going to put it in our marketing brochure. Um, I'm not there yet, but in the process. Ooh, all right, I have lots. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, some, some you can take with, uh, yeah, off the cuff and uh, some, but um, so I do not believe, well, of the people that I choose to work with, um, I don't think that anyone is ever out to, you know, I think the world has opened up to uh, women, minorities, er, you know, everyone in the business world. But um, I think that there's still some um, unconscious bias or some um, subliminal <laughs> uh, stereotyping still going on. And I think that things, um, and I'll just give you some examples that have happened to me so you can um, do the opposite. But um, so I've had times when someone told me, um, you gave, so I, I did, did training classes for astronauts. So this happened early in my career, but um, I had an astronaut tell me once, that is the best class I've ever had. And so, like, wow. And then I had a presentation I had to give, another class, um, where I got the same feedback. And so I was pretty proud of that. And um, I told my fellow coworkers, males, and one of them said, oh, that's the skirt factor. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, um, well, they just said that because you're woman. You're a pretty woman. And so at the time, I went, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I, I owned that. I went, oh, you must be right. Yeah, astronauts are dogs, so that must be. <laughs> but um, it, um, so, so my response these days is, no, that was the best class they ever had. And so I don't own that when someone says that. But um, I think to just be aware, even if you're, and I think whoever said that to me was just trying to be funny at one level, maybe, maybe some jealousy on another level. Um, but I don't think they were intentionally trying to cut me down. But um, those little things, um, if you just start to be conscious of them, and I've had to be conscious of them, um, you know, in the reverse, not saying the same thing. Um, I had... Um, like being in a meeting, um, you know, and someone will say, oh, gosh, i got to go to the bathroom. I'm as bad as a woman. Well, okay, women have to go to the bathroom. Like, why is that a bad thing? <laughs> so we have to go more often than you do. Um, but just the things like that make, um, are not uh, conscious, um, but they are subtle ways that sort of um, create that barrier between, um, and, and, and maybe at some level, you know, make women think 
Um, oh, yeah, I'm not as good as a man. Or make men think that, too. Yeah, she's not a, as good as a man because she has to go to the bathroom more often. Um, but actually, the men I work with have to go to the bathroom way more than I do. Uh, I think, um, or, uh, I won't even just say early on, I would say probably until the last few years, and you know, it ebbs and flows, um, but I, um, I think I was so intent on proving myself that I took all rejections personally, so if, um, if I didn't get selected for you know, a contract or something, um, or to be a team member or this, I took it very personally, and um, until I developed that confidence from within that says, you know what, hey, I'm not the best choice for this, and that's okay, or I, you know, I have a strength here, but not here, or, um, and in some cases, um, I started looking at it that, um, it was actually protecting us from something. So if, if a company didn't choose us or an employee didn't want to come to work for us, um, instead of saying, oh, what did we do wrong? You know, what's, what's wrong with us? It was, okay, it wasn't meant to be. And, and I think just somewhere that shift from um, knowing that it's not about you. So that applies, you know, in life and just as in business, the th same things apply. If someone doesn't want to be your friend or someone doesn't want to date you, um, that it's not about you, it's, it's about them. Uh, so same, same approach. That, uh, just not, and it takes, um, it's taken me practice. I still don't like to be, I still don't like rejection, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't bother me like it, it once did. Um, let's see. Well, I'll tell you a story of a disadvantage. So the, the job I mentioned that was training pneumatics was in New York, and it was a German company, but everyone was either from Germany or from New York, and, um, which is another dream I had, by the way, to live in New York someday. So that was, uh, that's how I accomplished that one. But um, so I... You know, we had lived in Pennsylvania in high school, but I'd grown up, you know, younger in, in the South. So the Southern accent comes back to me pretty quickly. And, um, in fact, my kids say, oh, my gosh, when you talk to your parents, you sound so Southern. But um, so when I was uh, in New York, they, we were teaching classes all over. So Boston, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas, North Carolina, California. And uh, the president of the company said, if you don't lose that southern sorority girl accent, I'm not letting you teach anywhere but Dallas and, you know, Houston and North Carolina. And so in hindsight, I should have said, well, fine then. I won't teach anywhere else than that. But it was easy for me to lose because I'd moved so much. But I, I spent, um, you know, I had been here for four years, and I wasn't a sorority, so I did sound like a southern sorority girl. Uh, so that was a... A negative per se, but I think that the positive is, um, you know, um, I, I think 
growing up in the South, and my parents were farmers, and there's some um, strength that comes, but also uh, respect 